90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 115. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Gary Brackett, Super Bowl champion linebacker, to discuss his mindset that fueled his pursuit for greatness. From walking on at Rutgers University and earning defensive MVP honors, to being an undrafted free agent and leading the Indianapolis Colts to a Super Bowl victory, Gary's story is filled with overcoming adversity and devoting himself to leadership and service. Gary Brackett is nothing short of being incredibly mentally tough and full of grit. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely, anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR. interested in a full body resistance training system to achieve your athletic and fitness goals, the Mass Suit from Juke Performance is your answer. The Mass Suit is a full body resistance training suit that you wear during your exercising or sports specific training to enhance your speed, strength, power, agility, and endurance. You are fully mobile and it's great for plyometric and high intensity training. It engages all muscle groups simultaneously and increases to a 50% caloric burn. Check out the mass suit at jukeperformance.com and other fitness-related products, and make sure to use the promo code GRANTPAR, one word, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-R, for your 10% discount. Hey, Gary, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Right on, man. I'm I'm super excited for for many reasons. Uh, again, being a football player um, and having another football player on the show, just talking shop and talking mindset and learning more about not only your journey, what you went through at the professional level, but what you're doing now as far as uh, you know impacting people around you and the foundation you're running and all the restaurants you're running. So, being an entrepreneur. So I'm really excited to to have you here to share your story. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to share it, man. It should be fun. It's all about mindset. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of that, I love I love starting my show with with talking about mental toughness, just because it's a, it's a nice way to set the tone for the show. And I can only imagine what what you have gone through through your career as far as to be mentally tough and to build that that level of mental toughness. So, when you think of the word mental toughness or being mentally tough, what does that mean to you? Man, I think what mentally tough means to me is uh, being able to fully access that full potential of your brain Mm. that when situations occur, like you can be calm in those really stressful situations. And not only calm, but then be assured that, you know, you're in position to to thrive in those situations. You know, um, I feel like a lot of people, you see it now in sports all the time, break down when they're in those situations, either in golf a lot, right? The guy's last five holes, uh, he's in the lead, and then all of a sudden he just breaks. Um, and I think, you know, that the real high elite performers, going back to my days with the Indianapolis Colts, fourth quarter, money time, two-minute time, I mean, that has to happen. That mental toughness has to kick in and just assure you that you work, you practice, good things are going to happen, um, and, and and don't be surprised when you're successful because you know that's what you spend all, all, all the off season working for. Absolutely. And well, and then do you feel like you know, especially in your position, being a linebacker, man, you have to be mentally tough, physically tough, emotionally tough. But did you did you, was it innate with you? Did you were you just somewhat born with this mental toughness, or did it develop over time? And did it develop from stage to stage, from high school to college to pros? No, it definitely developed. Um, I definitely developed. You know, um, going, going to high school, um, I was not a scholarship athlete going to college. Um, so um, really just a mental toughness to play at Division One, I went to Rutgers University, um, all without a scholarship. 
So, you know, it was just different how they treat walk-ons in the college program. So having less opportunities, having to show more, not really getting a fair shot. So then when I had an um, opportunity to actually get a shot, I was a second team back up and I started on special teams. I get a call that, you know, my father could no longer afford the tuition and I had to come home. At that moment, I went into the uh, head coach's office and I let him know. And uh, he first of all, he he started by saying like, hey, Gary, I'm going to recruit players that are bigger and better than Gary Brackett. And I'm like, dude, like, I'm I'm leaving, right? You know, you don't have to keep me when I'm down. Um, But then he goes, he says like, man, but you know what, man, you're one of the hardest workers on the team. Um, You give me everything you got. You got good grades. You show up on time. And I, I honestly, I wish I had 53 Gary Brackets. And, and we just got a scholarship that came available, and I want to give it to you. Wow. So, um, man, it really just, you know, changed my world. And this is where the mental toughness began for me. So I go inside of the weight room, and I tell all my teammates, hey, I'm I'm getting the scholarship. So we're, we're hooting and hollering. Um, and then it was a player that came out, Wesley Robinson. So Wesley was like 6'3", 245. 6% body fat, right? So he just looked like a football player. I, I would always joke and say um, he looked like Tarzan or played like Jane. Um, <laughs> but um, but just just a great-looking football player. So he comes to me and says, hey, what's the motion? Like, we're in lifting weights. Like, rest, he's ripped. I'm like, yo, Wesley, I got, I got a scholarship, man. I get to stay in school. And he was like, scholarship? You should worry about starting. And I was like, starting? Like, dude, I was just like, I had my Hyundai Excel like packed with everything I own. I'm about to head home. Like, like I just got a full scholarship. Like I get a full meal plan. Like I no longer have to like <laughs> wait in line for somebody to swipe me in. Like, what are you talking about? So it's funny that night I go home and I start thinking to myself, I can't sleep. And I'm like, damn, what would it take for me to be a starter? And I think that's the moment where it clicked. And I was like, well, you're going to have to start getting up early. And that's when I started developing my championship morning. Well, you're going to start having to go to work. And every time you work out, you're intentional about increasing your weights every single time, like max, ma- maxing out every single time you're in the weight room. When you're on your field, you're the first one out there. You're laughing to leave, right? You, you're giving everything you got in every single drill. And then when I started doing that, man, it just really became a mentality. And, and, and the crazy part is, like, when you, when you put in the work, like, consistently, day in, day out, what you realize and what really builds that mental toughness is that the last mile is never crowded. Wow. Right? Yeah. It's never crowded. Like, no one's willing to do that much work. So at, so at a point, when you start doing that consistently day in, day out, you'll realize, wait, I'm the only one that's doing this. And I think that just really gives me confidence and mental toughness because I know I put the work in to deserve success. So when I'm in a situation that's stressful, I know that I've worked to be able to handle the situation. Well, you know what I love about that story, and I talk about this a lot in my life, but also on the show, it's about, you know, what you put out to the universe, and you have to be vulnerable if whatever you want in life, and yeah, you had something that um, that was was somewhat of a crisis, you, you know, your father couldn't pay the tuition anymore, so I, I can only imagine being a young man, that conversation going into your coach might not might have been easy for you, but I'm guessing might not probably wasn't easy and you have to like you have to trust yourself and be vulnerable and just trust the universe and you know or trust god whatever your beliefs are and man when you do that you have no clue what's going to come at come back at you and the fact that you did that and then you got this you got the scholarship and then you got somebody right after it kind of gives you a bigger perspective about starting right gives you a different element to think about like the commitment that you're going to put in and you know, and I want to bring this up because I know I know a little bit of your journey. You know, you come out of high school, you don't get this scholarship, you know, and then you finally earn a scholarship, and then you go play in the professional ranks. You don't get drafted; you're a free agent. What was the motivation that that kept you? Like, I know you shared a little bit about that moment being at Rutgers, but you know, when you don't get that scholarship, when you don't get drafted, what does that do for you, and what does that do for your motivation? Yeah, honestly. It practices it, right? I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty good high school football player, right? There's 500 kids in my high school team. We go to playoffs, right? Championship game, we lose. But I'm thinking like, man, in every game I play in, I'm the best player. So I was like, how does the best player on the field not have scholarship? 
and we played against teams and other players had scholarships. And, you know, the reality of it was my high school coach sent out my senior year playoff film to get me recruited. Um, but you know what? Shame on me for not checking. Shame on me for not filling out any of the paperwork. Because a year prior, I'm getting all this mail to my house from all these different colleges, and I'm bringing it to him. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll bet my house you get a scholarship. You don't got to fill none of that stuff out. They're going to come find you. <laughs> and, and, and lo and behold, it doesn't happen. So getting to college you know, kind of had a chip on my shoulder um, that, you know, I upset that I, that I didn't get a scholarship. But in the long run, you know, the crazy thing, in the long run, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And the reason is the best thing that ever happened to me because never again, you know, will, will I rely on someone else's input, right? Um, we all have the ability uh, to learn. And and it's this saying, right, you, we all have anything, everything we need inside of us in order to be successful. And most people are like, well, that's not true. I don't have it inside of me. Like, I don't know this. I don't know, I don't know that. No, what they're talking about, what you have inside of you is the ability to learn. It's the ability to figure it out. And then, oh, work. Yes, work. <laughs> and some people are like, oh, no, nah, I don't want to work. I, I thought you meant I, thought you meant I had it. Like, it was going to, like, reveal itself. Like, no, don't re- no you, you have it in you. You have the ability to learn. Yeah. So now you have to take that ability to learn to figure out what you need to to get to where you want to go. <laughs> And, and that's how it works. Totally. Absolutely. And you know, I'll have to say this before I get into my next question. You brought up something that brought me, man, uh, in junior college, I got my first car and it was a Hyundai Excel. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that was, that was my car that took me all the way through college into my professional life, uh, life after football. Uh, so when you brought that up man, I haven't thought about that car in decades. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, reliable car, man. Great on gas. Totally, totally, totally. Well, <laughs> well, let's go back. You know, let's stay on the theme of of mental toughness. You know, again, you just shared something that allowed you to start your 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 I guess your journey of of mental toughness and being mentally tough. Can you share a specific time in your career, maybe when you were with the Colts, uh, whether it was a game or a practice or dealing with injury, where you had to be mentally tough? What was that specific time? Oh, oh man! So there was plenty uh, of times, right? But I, I'm gonna. Um, this is interesting. So we're playing in the Super Bowl, our, our second Super Bowl against New Orleans Saints. Um, it's the first half, second quarter, like two thirty left. We stop them, and it's fourth and two. So we have like a ten point lead. All right, they're gonna kick a field goal. You know, we win. Like on defense, you, you when you get to the red zone, just like hey, make them kick a field goal. <laughs> So Sean Payton keeps the offense out on the field, right? And we're like, they're going to go for it. So we're like, all right, cool. They're gonna go. So fourth and two in the Super Bowl, they go for it. They run. They run the ball to the left side. Um, we're in cover four defense, um, and I have responsibility um, on the right side. I don't have any run gaps to the left, but I know they're running over there. So we run the ball over there. I run over there. I'm the first one on the contact. Man, make the, make the contact, push the guy back, bring him down. The defensive back comes in and puts his head down, make contact, and he hits my hand and breaks it. So, hits my hand and breaks my hand in the Super Bowl, second quarter. So, then I go to the sideline, and right, you play football for a lot of years, and first thing I, I tell the doctor, like, yo, I, I just broke my hand. And the doctors always, they hear it all the time, right? Anytime you bang your hand, you think it's broke. Right. They're like, yeah, okay, I've heard that before. But then he grabs my hand, and then he moves it. He's like, oh, oh yeah, that's broke. Like, I, I can feel it move. Like, your hand is not supposed to move. Yeah. But then they're like, you know, it was like two minutes. I was like, all right, let's 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 take you in halftime. I'm like, hey, man, we got two minutes left. I don't know what's going to happen. No one else knows I'm hurt. I just can't, like, leave the field. Like, I have to physically be out here in case anything happens. So nothing happens. We go inside at halftime. They rush in. So all the doctors, I mean, 10, 15 people in the room. And, you know, half of the trainers are like, hey, Gary, man, heck of a season, man. This, this sucks, man. Damn, we need you. Like, what are we going to do? And, but then the other half was like, uh, there's a few things that we could do. <laughs> so um, they come in, we devise a plan. Um, we're going to inject it. We're going to get some pads. And it's like, hey, you're going to have to play with pain. But but for me, the mental toughness, it wasn't for me playing in the Super Bowl. That was one big thing. But I was a captain. Like, I, like I was a quarterback of the defense. Like I orchestrated the whole thing. Like I, And at this point, I was calling like 60% of the calls. I wasn't coming from the sideline. They were coming from me. 
Mm. So me being at the game was crucial. So I was just like, you know what? I can get through this. There's two quarters of football. You know, my hand is broke. And, and I'm just going to make sure I call a perfect game from here on out. Um, and the crazy part about that, that football game, bowl game we lost, they come out, they could get onside kick, <laughs> and they get it back. So a very aggressive Sean Payton was that game that definitely paid off. But uh, I have a record for the most solo tackles of any game, um, of any player, rather, in the Super Bowl against the Saints. I had 12 solo tackles in that game, um, and I played the second game with my hand broken. Wow. Wow. You know, when you think about leadership, right, and you think about, I mean, it's one thing to, to have that title, captain, um, but it's more than that, right? I mean, is it, what, did you feel at that moment it, yes, you had to uphold, uphold that, that role of being a captain, but was it, it was more about you, right? It was more about calling the, the defense. It was more about being a part of the team. You know, I think that's, I wanted to bring that up just because leadership is not, sometimes we get, it's a convoluted role. Sometimes people, it's about me shining. It's about me leading. No, it's about you servicing the people around you. And it seems like that was kind of like your mindset was, yeah, I got a broken hand, but it's not going to stop me to serve this defense. I think that's it. It's funny. My mom, um, um, I, I lost my mom um, my first year in the NFL. And I, I, my, my, during my college season, um, I got a scholarship. I ended up being a, a starter. And I ended up being the um, team MVP for two years. I'm now actually in the Rutgers Hall of Fame. But the first year, you know, um, I, I, I was named the starter, the coaching change, and I was named the captain. And so I'm, my mom picks me up, like, hey, congratulations, you're the captain. I'm like, uh, I'm like, you know what? Um, I mean, this is great, but I was captain in high school, fired the kids, but like, this is Division One football, right? We're we're playing against some of the best of the best, <laughs> right. right? We're playing. I was like, we we got like some five stars on our team, some surefire NFL players. Like, like, how do I lead them? And then my mom was an ordained reverend, and she was like, "Well, baby, I'm I'm gonna give you a play out of my playbook." And in my playbook, is it was the Bible, and she says that it says the greatest among us, which are leaders. Yeah, they will serve. Mm. And, and and I was just like, man, but but what if they talk back in the huddle? Like, what if they don't listen to me? The baby <laughs> just serves, right? So what if they go to the coach and tell everybody, you know, I'm 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 a snitch now, and you know, I'm I'm a leader, right? I'm the captain. I gotta be, you know, buttoned up. You know, what what if they judge me? She's like, baby, just serve. And I think that mentality just stuck with me throughout my NFL career, football career, and now in business. It's just about serving. And, and you know, the old Zig Ziglar, like, you want to get what you want? Like, help people get what they want. Yeah. And then inadvertently, like, you're going to get what you want. Yeah, man. I mean, and I love that. I think leadership is, it's, it's I mean, we can look at it as a title and a position and a role, but it's a choice. And, um, and I think what you did is you made a choice in that moment. And I think, you know, w- being a leader is, is not fun all the time. You have to make tough decisions. You have to hold people accountable. And I think, you know, like the question you had to your mom was like, well, what if I'm in a huddle and they don't listen to me? Just serve, baby. And it's just, it's about staying in your lane. Like I, I deal with this all the time when I'm working with, you know, with teams. Like I'm working with 50 plus people in a room. Is everybody going to be totally bought in and want to do breathing exercises and, and doing meditation and, and mental skills work? Not everyone, especially at the high school level. So I got to stay in my lane. I can't, I can't get plugged in and get out of focus because someone else. I, I, I believe in what I do, just kind of like a leader. You have to believe in what you do in, in, in a huddle, and you just gotta, you just gotta serve, right? And that's what you signed up for. And uh, and I love it. I love the advice that your mom gave you. Yeah, no, and 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 the crazy part is, like some people assume that there shouldn't be any resistance. Right. Like right. They, they assume, and like, so now, like, I coach, uh, I, I coach uh, business with small business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, people starting off, freelancers, and this whole notion of there shouldn't be any resistance, you know, when they first encounter it, they're, they're just like upset. Or, or, and then they think, like, oh man, you know, all my, all my family's going to support, support me. And then they don't. And then, so they live in this world where they think, you know, they can count on everyone loving what they do. They can count on everyone around them support them. And when it doesn't happen, like it's challenging. And how do you deal with that? Well, mental toughness, right? You're going to serve. Everyone's not going to like what you do. 
Like, this was your purpose. This was your dream. This wasn't anyone else's. Like, you don't need the permission to go out and chase your dream. You don't need the permission. So I think once you have that mentality that, you know what? There's going to be resistance. There's going to be people out there that doesn't like what I do, no matter how hard I try. But I'm, but the people that do, I'm going to serve them to the best of my ability. Yeah. Big time. Well, and then when you when you serve, obviously we've been talking about mindset, but like when you think about your your mindset when you played and even now as as an entrepreneur, like how would you describe your mindset as a player and, and how has that helped you with life after football? Yeah, so my mindset as a player was always to get like one percent better. Um and it's it's amazing, you know, sometimes you like you know stuff, you you practice it. But you actually read it, it doesn't really it doesn't really make sense. Um, so I wrote a, a book uh, uh, earlier in the year. Uh, I think it was late last year actually. It was James Clear, uh, Atomic Habits, and he talked about the percentage that if you get one percent better, 365 days in a year, at the end of the year, compound effect, you'll be 37 times better than when you started. Conversely, if you get one percent worse, 99 percent times 365 you'll be 0.3% of what you started at the beginning of the year. So this whole notion of football for me was like, all right, attack one area today to get better. Is it my footing? Is it my first step? Is it no fall step? Is it my back pedal? Is it my break? Is it my angles? Is it where I train my eyes on the call? Is it how I communicate my call loud and proud? Is it my hand signals? Make sure they're clear. So all these things I will work on throughout the season, getting 1% better, and then towards the end of the year, I'm like, wow, that was a great season. Like, I got better as it went on. And I think in my everyday life now, I'm just constantly looking for, all right, what, what new book can I read? What new conference can I go to? What phone call, podcast, relationship that I can join or be on that I can maybe share my wisdom to help someone, but inadvertently make a relationship that that could be lifelong. So I, I'm just of the belief that, you know, um, there's things out there that you haven't done yet that will unlock your future. And if you're not there yet, you have to just keep on opening up doors. Totally, man. Just being vulnerable and showing up. And, uh, man, and and for me, at least, at least in my entrepreneur career after football, man, I've, I've, I've literally learned how to fail. And I've and I'm I'm okay with failing. I really am. Back in the day when I played, no, I couldn't. <laughs> I needed somebody like me to talk to when I was playing football. But I think that's the biggest thing too is showing up, being vulnerable, keep on knocking on the door as you're saying, and being and not only like being okay with failing, but learning from that failure. You know, fa- failing sucks, but if you can like, remove the emotional side of it and get the feedback, get the information from it, man, that's how you can. That to me, that's one of the ways you can get one percent better. Yeah, no, nah, no question. And 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 I and I teach and I train and, and I'm with the mindset now it's like as we get older we have to constantly unlearn things that we were taught as children. And yeah. one of the things that I always um <laughs> come to my mind in terms of unlearning is like um, you know, failure is bad. You know, in grade school we got taught failing was bad. Our parents taught us failing was bad. They protected us against certain sports, against playing the piano. Hey, your dad can't play the piano, so you sure can't, but you don't touch that thing. Right. And they put all their limitations on us. Right. right? Um, and But then, like, what I realized is that, like, failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is actually a part of success. Yeah. And you talk to, like, the most successful people and you realize, like, how did you learn that? And how they learned? I failed. And then I pivot. How, man, how'd you how'd you go there? I tried this 10 things and it didn't work. And then I and then the last one unlocked the door. Yep. So you so see all these people that are afraid of failing, I, like I promise you, like behind that failure is going to be that key to unlock the door to, to unlock your potential. But if you're afraid to show up, if you're afraid to try, just because people are going to talk about you, they're going to laugh at you, I can assure you they're laughing now, right? So, right. so now your job is to give them a reason. Totally, totally. You know, and I and I recently, not too long ago, had a, an incredible conversation with my mentor, and I, you know, we were talking about, you know, failures and barriers, um, and I was using the word barrier a lot. I'm like, man, I know this is a barrier, and I have to get over it. And he was like, no, man, it's just another door you need to open. And it's and it's just wow. you know, and I was like, wow, okay, that's why that's why you're my mentor, you know, and it's just like, and and that's yeah, it was just very eye opening for me. 
Um, you know, and when we talk about failures, which, you know, we're talking about learning from them, right? So, you know, obviously you have shared like awesome stories so far and shared mental wins is what I call them. So for my listeners, so they can learn through, through some of the things and the adversities and the trials and tribulations that you've gone through, like when you reflect on your, on your football career, what do you think was your biggest mental fail and how did you overcome it? Like, was there a, a breakdown in a call? Was there a, a mental fail in your confidence? Like, wh- and I'm, I'm sure there's a few of them, but what, what, what sticks out the most for you? Um, my, my biggest mental fail was, um, I think earlier on in my career in the NFL, similar story. I was a captain and now I'm the captain with Peyton Manning and, you know, it's coach Dungy and myself, Bill Polian, and, and we're in a lot of these meetings making decisions. And my biggest failure as a leader, as it was, it's this quote that says, most people give away their power because they think they don't have any. And like, I, I did not do a good enough job early on as a leader, like challenging some of the things that were being done. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, speaking up, not because like as a leader, I had to realize that I'm not in there representing myself. I'm in there representing my team. And and for me, as a defensive captain, I'm in there representing the defense, right? Peyton is representing the offense. So the decisions and conversation that we had, I'm just thinking like, to, like I don't care if we got pads on. I don't care if we, you know, we practice with pads. I don't care if we, you know, do these type of things. And I wasn't always considering, like, what does that, how does my defense do? And I think um, it's amazing now, right, not to get political, but it looks look sometimes like in, um, in D.C., th- those people tend to forget that, yeah. that, that they're there to represent their constituents back home. They're not there to represent their own personal interests. <laughs> and I think, again, just going back to my serving point, like, now, nah, like, I'm here. I was elected on and trusted the voice, a concern that they have. And by not doing that, sometimes there were situations where, you know, the defense was playing second fiddle, and they were like, like, gee, what happened? You ain't speak up? And I was just like, man, it was going to happen anyway, right? And <laughs> But really, in my mind, I'm like, man, I didn't even try. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. But the thing is, like, um, um, and one of the, this is a key example, right? This is a funny story. True story. happened. Um, so for the Super Bowl, um, how it works is like the offense will get um, announced the special teams and defense, right? So we had a rotation all year long. So it comes to the Super Bowl end of the year. So guess what? It's the defense's turn. We're back up. We're going to be the ones that get introduced out of the tunnel in the Super Bowl. So it was like a big honor, right? And everybody like, ooh, Peyton Manning, this higher power offense, right? That's what everyone wants to see on TV. But it's the defense's turn. What's right is right. <laughs> so I'm talking to the defensive players like, yo, like, is our turn on defense? Like, how y'all feeling? Like, you know what I'm saying? And and let me know, like, you know, Peyton, Reggie, Marvin, these are Hall of Famers. Totally. Um, so they're like, so I'm like, what do y'all think? Do y'all care that we get announced first? If y'all care, I'll fight for it. They're like, man, you know what's going to happen anyway. I'm like, well, let me know if y'all care. Like, cause, you know, because I will say something, right? I'm at this point in my career, like, I, they're like, so no one will give me an answer, right? So I'm like, all right, cool. So, you know, we, so we're in a meeting, and Umber knows I didn't talk to them. I talked to a few players. No one really wanted to pull a decision. So I'm like, hey, you know, Coach Dungey, man, I, I get it. I get the significance of this moment, and I know it's our turn as a defense, but um, I'm, I'm going to let the offense get introduced to the Super Bowl. So Coach Dungey looks at me like, what? And I was like, like yeah, man, I'm going to let the offense. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's like a homage to right, like man, like the best player ever lived, right? right, right. Um, like like Reggie Wayne, like um, so so at the time, so Coach Dungey like announces in the room, like I, I don't know how this happened, but um, the offense is going to get introduced in the Super Bowl, and all the defense is like, oh Gary, you sold me out, like you, know, and I'm just like, look, I asked you guys, no one said anything, you know, what <laughs> I made a decision, right, and this is that, so like so they all ribbing me, giving me trouble, right. Funny thing is, we get to the Super Bowl, and this the first year, maybe the first year they did it, but they announced the whole team uh, as an introduction, and not offensively. So the whole team ended up getting introduced. So a uh, crisis averted. 
Uh, but just that whole process of making that decision yeah. um, was just, you know, very um, interesting. That's huge. That, that I mean, I love that. I love that story. You know, and you brought up, obviously, Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne. You know, I'm bringing up Adam Vin- Vinatieri, Jeff Saturday. These are Hall right. of Famers and future Hall of Famers. Like, when you think about them and yourself... Uh, you know, as leaders and captains, how much did their mindset not only affect the team, but like affect the whole organization as a whole? Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it's huge. Um, and I would even bring up Dwight Franey and Robert Mathis on defense. Oh, probably yeah. get Hall of Fame now, right. So, I mean, we're talking about six Hall of Famers on a team. Um, yeah. I mean, it's huge just in terms of culture. Um, and that's one thing that, we had an awesome culture at, uh, with the coach in terms of our leaders, in terms of setting tone. There was a lot of a lot of this crazy stuff you see other teams. Like, we didn't have that. So, and part of that was, you know, Bill Pullian did a great job of bringing in the right guys. Um, so, he really was excellent in what he did. And obviously, Coach of the Dungeon gave him his blessings and, and was a great man. And even when Coach Caldwell took over, we had the same thing. But, yeah, absolutely. You you have, you know, there, there's five guys on the team Typically, that takes up 70, 80 percent of the of the cap, um, <laughs> right? So, right. yeah, they they have a big say in what they say and what they do. Um, <laughs> so, so, so this is this is this is what happens, though, right? And you and you around it, so you, you're seeing teams, the good teams, those five guys has a positive influence on the rest of the team. The mediocre team. Two or three of those guys, the bad teams, none of those guys have a positive outlook. Mm. And you look at some of the most, you know, historically great teams and the historically bad teams, and what separates them is the culture and the leadership. And if you look at the Cleveland Browns, for example, they've been drafted in the top five, ten picks for the last 20 years. You're talking about talent on the team? They have the most talented team ever assembled. You just look at number one picks and look at how many five star guys that they have, you know what I'm saying? Um, but that that's not it's not talent. It's it's team. You don't win off talent, you went off team, you went off culture. And I think that's what that's what kinda of made us so good at Indianapolis. I love that and I love that answer. Because I'm besides, you know, mental toughness and, and mental performance and mental skills training, I love talking about culture, man. I just uh I love being a part of it, coaching it, just seeing it develop. I love player-led cult, uh, cultures. That I mean, that's the best for me, at least. But um, I love that. I love that story. Now, I do want to switch the focus because, dude, I want to talk about how you play the game of football. And, mm. man, like, you had the knack for being around the ball, whether if it was filling the gap, getting to the quarterback, dropping back into coverage and intercepting the ball – blocking the ball. I mean, you were just, you flew around. Um, and I'm, before I kind of pinpoint this one play of your career, were you seriously a running back before you were a linebacker? Because, dude, like, when you intercept <laughs> a ball or pick up a fumble or the way you move your feet, it's like you're like a running back, man. No, that's that's funny. I um, I definitely was a running back in, um, in, in high school. And I actually... Um, I was upset that I played defense. And the reason, like, this is my high school mind talking about maturity. Right. The reason I wanted to play offense was because you get to score touchdowns and be in the paper. And they didn't care if you had 15 point tackles, you weren't making the paper, right? <laughs> right. You had a couple touchdowns. So that's all I care about getting touchdowns, getting girls. It's like how naive I was at that age. Uh, but yeah, I definitely was a running back uh, in high school. Um, and um, But but my mentality is, is, is funny back to your question about. Um, how I had a knack for the ball, and um, and it was just it was just secret, right? And I called it playing on, and um, and I can't use it anymore because I don't play. Um, I try to teach it to players; they think I'm crazy. But I, I so 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 you talk about the mental part again, right? So so one one hack I used to do, no matter if I'm playing home or away, right? Anytime the crowd was cheering, they were cheering for me, and anytime they were booing they were going for the other team, right? <laughs> so, so it makes sense, right? In your mind, totally. I'm at a away game. Boo! Yeah, they suck. Yeah, they suck. Yes, keep it up. Boo! So it, it's all about, like, how you perceive in your mind, right? Totally. Um, so, 
so then I would line up and this and this came from my preparation film study. But I lined up and I told myself on every single play that if it was a run play, like I had to be the hitter and I had to be the one to make the tackle and I was going to run my feet and I was going to drive them back and I was going to get them down. And if it was a pass play, the quarterback was throwing it in my area and it was man coverage, look back because the ball is going to be there. Don't drop the interception. And if it wasn't, if they caught it, then you're going to run your lane, you're going to pop out the ball. So every time I lined up, I physically – visualize like it being my play mm. and i think that's extremely challenging to do right because you talk about a tense focus for you know the 60 minute ball game but every time i lined up i looked at the down distance i looked at the formation i looked at the part of the field we in i looked at the clock right i looked at all these different metrics to get me an opportunity and then i studied the playbook so i know tendencies all right on um, eye formation right there's 80 percent run to the to the left side I'm going to cheat over to the left a little bit. I'm going to back up a little bit deeper because I saw that guard. He takes a wide step. So if I back up a little bit, I'm going to be able to beat him to it. All right, but then when I get there, I'm going to rip through with my left arm, powerful my feet, and I'm going to drive through. They got the big back back there. Like, no, 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 no taking it easy, right? He's torn to 45 pounds right last week. You got to make sure you bring some home. And, that's, and then, bam, the play will happen. So I, I already visualized it and talked myself through it. So now when it happens, like, oh, here it is. And then it's like action. And then, you know what I'm saying, linebacker. And, and even if even if that play didn't happen, like, all right, next time it's going to be the play, though. So it's like constantly reinforcing that this is going to be the play. Don't mess up. And I see it all the time. Like every every Sunday, every game, any sport, it's like people who don't visualize what happens. Oh, um, they're wide open, um, and the quarterback throws in the ball, and then they drop it. And they act like, oh, my God, couldn't believe you threw it to me. <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> I mean, how many times do you see it, right? All totally. Totally. And in my mind, I was like, he's throwing it to me. Like, I know he is. Catch the ball. And it's just that that difference in mindset and visualization techniques and how you work, work through that, it really sets you up for success, right? Because even if I'm not, you know, on the tackle, right, I'm I'm around it. Um, and it's just like the what I work myself up to be. But I took years and years of practice, um, hours and hours of film study to be in position um, to have that confidence. Um, but man, when you get there, it was just like it was the greatest thing in the world. It was like a cheat code. I mean, it was like so fun playing. Right? I, I couldn't wait to Sunday. I'm like, this is easy. Um, <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. I love it. I love it. You know, and I and I I agree with you. I think visualization um, and what you practice that obviously you can practice that at home and you know before you go to bed. And there's all these what you know times to do it, but you do it in practice, man. You get you just get really good at visualizing because if and you, because you can do it if you do it well and you do it enough, you can do it in the game. You can actually do it right before the play happens because you can control that image, control that mind. Now, if you don't visualize, I feel like sometimes you'll see athletes. They just they're just hoping. They hope they do well. Like they're trusting themselves, but they're just hoping. And to me, I hate that man. It's like hope is not a strategy. I don't want you to hope. I want you to know. And part of knowing is actually visualizing and getting your mind right, getting your mind to see it and feel it and do it kind of like you were doing, right? And and I, you know what I love about the way you went about it? It's, you know, there's two different kinds of self-talk. There's the motivational self-talk where you're like, I got this, I'm a champion, I'm a warrior, you know, whatever whatever that motivational self-talk is, or the instructional where you're actually walking yourself through, like, you know, put your left foot back, you know, look at this tendency. Like you're walking yourself through the whole play, which is keeping you completely focused on your craft. And I love it, man. Like, you, like when you were actually telling me that the instructional part of what you do as far as visualizing and talking to yourself, I, I followed you. I could see that in my mind. And I, and I can only imagine you can see that in your mind, too. So, I mean, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's funny, right? Um, and, and the reason, and, and I did it so often, um, I didn't realize that everyone didn't do it. <laughs> right. Um you know what I'm saying? You know how you're successful at something, and then you realize, like, man, why? Like, like, what do you see before the play? Like, I would ask, you know, my friend, my linebacker. He'd be like, um, I see that it's eye formation, um, <laughs> and that, and that's it. Right. I'm like, that, that's all you see? <laughs> right? I'm like, you know, you know, and people that play now, and that's why I like young players. I'm like, look, man, 
Um, you want to have a conversation, we can have one. You know, first one is free, second one may have to charge you for it. Uh, but um, but it's just it's just the exact same thing. Like, how do you train your mind to know what to look for? And I think in business, it's the same way. Yeah. Right now, when I go inside of a store, right, I'm looking at how does, how does the parking lot present itself? Is there cigarette butts in the in the parking lot? Is the windows clean? How how does the patio furniture look? Is the patio um, power washed? Is it clean? Um, when I walk in the front door, does anyone greet me? You're right? Is our table dirty? Um, what's the shape of the bathroom? And everything that we do in the restaurant business, it tells the consumer a story. Do they care? Do they serve? Are they clean? Do they have discipline? And I think visualizing that when you go inside of a store in a restaurant, making sure that everything is good, it gives that consumer that confidence. Like, oh, yeah, I'm in the right place. Right? Um, the lights are on, the parking lot's clean, they're inviting, they want me to come here. Um, and But so many times you go inside businesses or you go inside, you know, places and you're just like, I don't know if they like want business because no one greeted me. The Someone in the back looked at me and they didn't speak. And it's like, yep. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're a private company. I don't know if they're like, I don't know if they're B2B or something. I don't know if they like accept consumers. And um, so it's just funny, like those those little things are just like some some things that you pick up on, and and definitely things that you could definitely teach and train people on how they can do a better job at. Definitely, it's it's been as details. It's um, I think when you play championship football like you did, I think when you don't get to that point and dominate your game and be as good as you were within your within your role without paying attention to the details. And I think, and then just in hearing you. Like and, and I love sport because we as athletes, I don't care what sport you play, if it's individual or team, we get that's the beautiful thing about playing sports and being an athlete. You get so much from from that from that sport. And not only the visualization piece, the confidence piece, the communication, the leadership piece, I can keep on going. But you you know, you played at such a high level, you had to be detail oriented. And so it makes sense that when you actually run your business or businesses that you are focusing on the little details because they they all add up and they all add up to greatness and effectiveness. Yeah, no, nah, that, that the details matter. They they just do. Yep. And I think, like you said, just focus on the details, um, focus on what you can control. Um, I think all that matters, and you know that that's what I've been taught in football, and, and that's what I kind of practice in my everyday life. I do I do want to go back to this whole running back thing because because <laughs> yes. I. You know, selfishly, when I when I when I was watching you play, um, seriously, for two years straight, you were my linebacker on my fantasy football league, and I'm sure you've heard that from multiple people. So knowing that you were on my team, I I actually was looking at every game, so I was focusing a lot on Gary. Now, now there's there's multiple times where you intercepted or blocked a pass, or you picked up a fumble and you ran with it. You know, you looked at athletic. Even though you caught the ball, athletic. But it wasn't until that famous, somewhat fa- famous play, the Rosencopter, where Sage Rosenfeld mm-hmm. and the te- Texans get spun up. And, and Sage is no small guy. That guy is like a, I don't know, was he 6'6", six, 6'5"-ish? Six, six, yeah, um, yeah, definitely big guy. Big guy. He gets spun around. But I knew when you picked up that ball and you ran it for, I don't know, 60 yards for a touchdown, I was like, dude, that guy was a running back. I mean, that guy was a running back, man. Most linebackers don't run like that. Yeah, no, nah, no question. It's funny. You know, fourth quarter, um, we're down 14, I think, at that point. And, you know, game well, but over, he, if he makes the first down, he tries to jump for six yards. He fumbles, and like you said, yeah, picked it up and, and um, definitely uh, was able to score. But but absolutely, I thought back to my running back days, <laughs> um, <laughs> getting around the corner, I, I, you know, I'll run to someone, so they're not going to, um, yeah, turn it up, so. Uh, definitely was a big play and sparked a comeback. Big time, big time. Now I have one more question before we get into what you're doing now and and you know how your transition was transitioning out of sport. But you know, in the position that you played, linebacker, and also being a captain, you know, within the game of any sport, but within football, we deal with there's fear, uh, the fear of not playing, the fear of getting injury, uh, the fear of failure. I mean, it's just there. So. What was your relationship with fear, and also what was your relationship with pressure? Yeah, so fear, um, I think fear and limited beliefs affects us all. 
And I think my biggest um, issue of fear was when um, in 2006, um, no, I'm lying. Yeah, 2000, no, 2005. 2005, I was named the starter of the defense. I was a um, first year starting, had a pretty good year, 131 tackles, four picks, um, solid year. But I'm like beat up. I got a growing issues, my shoulder. I'm like, I don't know how much longer I could do this, right? So, but but at this time, I'm not taking care of my body. I'm not eating right. So, of course, you know, 16-week season, it you know, it, it wears on me. So they presented me with a, a deal in the offseason. Um, David Thornton, great friend, great linebacker. He was a free agent, so he got paid in Tennessee Titans. Kittle June was an outside linebacker, um, which he had a great season. Um, I think he actually went to the Pro Bowl that year, so they're going to have to pay him a bunch of money. And then there's me. So the front office is like, yo, we're about to lose, lose all three linebackers in like one year. So um, they, they offered me a contract, and it was a low-ball contract. And I jumped at it, right? Fear that I wouldn't be able to perform again um, to that standard. So I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I'm an instant millionaire. Um, so I take the contract. So four-year deal. So year four in that contract, I'm like top five in like every like significant category at my position. But I'm like 60th. Like, like their backups make more money than me. And just the fear of that, like, man, this, like, this is it. Like, it had never happened. And I think it it got to where I was like wanting to be selfish. And I actually considered my last season telling the coach and the team, like, look, man, y'all don't believe in me to give me a new contract. I don't know how much I could continue to believe in y'all. Like, I don't want to be a captain this year. Like, I literally was about to be like, yo, I'm not a captain this year. I play. I do what I'm supposed to be. But I, I can't, like, if, if you guys don't have faith, you can't. I can't lead the team. So I told I told a good friend of mine this um, a mentor and he was like what I'm like yeah man <laughs> right <laughs> I'm thinking about to pull the trigger he was like he's like that's the dumbest thing I ever heard like that's like legit the most dumbest most selfish thing I ever heard and then he went like biblical like like do you have do you, like do you have faith or, or is it just like cool to say it because if you have faith then no matter what happens all right you're gonna be good. But if you don't have faith and you just rely on yourself, then yeah, go ahead and not be captain to see how that goes. <laughs> and, and right, so it was one of those things like, man, like yeah. So I ended up being captain that year, right? Another like spectacular season. That's when we went back to the to the Super Bowl actually um, that year, and we played against the Saints. And then I finally got paid, and I was top five paid at my position when I got paid. And then of course weeks later, I got blown out the water again. But but it's just one of those things of that fear of, you know, that FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah. You know, what about me? What about mine? And it was just so strong, man. And it was like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you only can control what you can control. Yep. And I think once you do that, then, you know, everything else, you know, you, you won't know until that time happens. So for me, spending all my time worrying about that, I, I could be more effective with my time by, like, affecting it by how I perform week in, week out. Totally. Well, what about pressure? I mean, did, did you yeah, thrive so, in it? Yeah, so so pressure is, um, yeah, I think I think I did. I think I think for me, pressure was like, so, 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 um, and we haven't talked about this yet, so I think this is a good time. And, um, so it, during my first year in the in, in NFL, right, I lost my father, mother, and brother in a 16-month span. Wow. So, very challenging. Twenty-three-year-old kid. Um, buried my father. Um, mom was devastated. Went home that all season. Was gonna buy my mom a house. We picked it up. We're paying for it. It's way more expensive than than I that I have as a rookie in the NFL. Um, but come to find out, she was preparing for our heavenly home. So she went on six months later, and then my brother had cancer. I gave him a bone marrow uh, transplant, and then I had went on to a uh, uh, the play, and, and a year later, he lost his life. So 16 months, I lost my dad, my brother, and my mom. Wow. And 23, 24 years old, um, you know, um, just uh, that was the first season that I started. And, you know, the, like the way the world is on your shoulders. Um, and I think from a, a standpoint of pressure, 
and the demands of your family at the time, right? Everyone's stressed out. Everyone thinks I have all the money in the world <laughs> um, or, or just all the wisdom in the world. Well, I was the first person in my family that graduated. And I think, you know, a lot of that was, was so was so challenging. Um, and it's another one of those pivotal moments in my life when I was thinking, like, man, like, this is tough. Um, it's hard. And I think no one will fault me if I tell them that, hey, I, I'm not going to play football. Like, I'm, you know, my family needs me. They're going to be here. Um, I, just, I just need to give it up and just go home and be with them. And, and, but then, again, it's like that, that realization that um, you realize that the best way to honor the dead is how you continue to live your life. And my, my parents, like one night, they spoke to me about all the sacrifices that they made in order for me to be where I am. And, you know, they've been preparing me to be in this moment. And how I can honor them is to take full advantage of every opportunity that came my way and not think and not look back. And I think by doing that, right, it gave me opportunity to show others that they could conquer the pressure, they could conquer adversity by not going backwards, but by moving forward. And I think that's just been, you know, this has been like my calling now and, and like my wife thinks I'm crazy because I'm always just trying to maximize everything that I do. And it's just, you know, notion that like, I know, you know, like time is precious. Like, you know, you know, sometimes too often I see people and they think they just have all the time in the world. And look, look at Kobe Bryant, for example. Yeah. Right. Um, look at, you know, some of the people that have relationships with him that they, that they didn't solve that relationship for it all happened. So while, you know, for most of us, yeah, we, we're going to have time. Um, and, you know, do with it as you want. But for me, like, I'm about, I want to maximize that time when I'm here because, unfortunately, for some, there's not going to be a lot of time, and you don't know that. And had you known that, you probably would have repaired some relationships. You probably would have left that job and done some things differently. Yep. You probably would have, you know, had a different conversation with your spouse Right, you you probably would have gotten in the best shape of your life, and no longer thinking like, oh man, I'm tired. I'm asleep. I'm gonna sleep again. Another twelve hour sleep. Like you know, like no. If you lose weight, if you got in shape, you ate healthy, you actually would be up and feel energized and like love being up. So it was like all these things that we could control. So that's what um, that pressure really led me to. You know, obviously doing what I'm doing now as a coach, and and now you know I put forth like a whole Champions Academy to try to train people on that like. How do you be a champion in every area of your life? And although life has challenges and life has pressure and different demands, like there's ways that you can and tools that you can develop to kind of help you navigate that. What I love about that whole story, man, it's uh, and I preach this all the time. It's crisis versus opportunity. Or where there is a crisis, mm -hmm. there is an opportunity. And man, you know, I'm not going to go into my story uh, on my show, but you know, when I had to go through my hip stuff with my health, man, as soon as I got to that point of when I, I spent two decades really just getting stuck, but when I realized that there was an opportunity to it, things changed. And so from that moment on, man, for the last maybe six years, anytime there's something crazy, there's something that seems hectic or I'm a little bit out of control or something's tough, pressure, there's fear, whatever there is, that situation. I, I get a little bit excited because I know on the other side there's an opportunity because I'm going to allow myself to be open to it. And and for you to go through all that pain, I mean, you lost, you pretty much, you lost your family. And so how does someone perform at their highest level, their most confident self when they've lost a piece of who they are? And, and so for you honoring them on all the stuff they taught you to be a young man, man, that's, I mean, that's, that's putting a different lens on it. It's reframing the situation. It's seeing the opportunity, and and I thought that man, that's just beautiful. Yeah, man, it's um, it, it's it's funny. Like when we talk about it the whole time, like if um, if if you use those opportunities in your life with fear, with failure, with pressure, and and you realize, you, you know what, stress plus rest equals growth. 
And all those things were stressful, right? And you just think about your time when you were lifting weights. You would lift, you would squat one day, and you would be like, you put stress on your muscles. They're sore, right? They're ripping. You're actually ripping your muscles, and they have to repair themselves. But then the next time you go in there, you're eating muscles to get bigger, and then you also get stronger. Yeah, totally. And I think that's, that's exactly what happens in our life. When we face adversity, when we face pressure, when we show up and deal with it, we actually grow. We For sure. You know, and you talked about maximizing your time here because you're right, man. Like, we all, life's short. And it seems like as I've, I've gotten older, it seems like time goes a little bit faster, it seems like. Um, where When I was younger, it seems like everything was really a lot slower. But I love it that you're maximizing and you're doing a ton of stuff. Now that you've transitioned out of sport, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're coaching people, you're running a foundation. And, and share with my listeners as far as, maximizing your time here and your efforts share what you're doing as far as the impact uh, foundation what you're doing with restaurants and, and coaching and how can people actually connect with you more and follow you with all your efforts right now yeah absolutely so garybracket.com is my website and i'm gary bracket uh b-r-a-c-k-e-t-t on all social media sites so um <clears throat> my foundation i started because of my brother and um, I was a bone marrow transplant. And when I was walking the hall to the hospital, I saw how many young kids affected by the disease of cancer. So I said, man, if I could do anything and give back, it would definitely be to the area of critically and chronically ill children. So I started a foundation like 13 years ago now. And we have several lockers inside of the hospitals here in Indianapolis. Um, we have a mother center hall luncheon where we bring in the moms who take care of the sick kids. Um, then we also uh, have Christmas inside our hospitals where we stock the lockers with different gifts and activities for those patients that come in. Um, if you don't know this, those a lot of the toys and stuff that are gifted to the hospitals are single use because they're sick and um, some of these are, are transferable um, or some of the, the germs. Um, a lot of those toys are thrown away after they got used one time. So definitely a huge need there. Um, then inside of uh, my restaurants, I own a sports bar chain called Stack Pickle. Um, we have uh, 10 restaurants in total uh, from a corporate standpoint and also have seven franchisees. Um, so definitely growing via franchising, opened up four units this year, one in Houston, Orlando, one in the Indianapolis airport. Um, so excited about, you know, that growth as well. Um, and then in addition to that, I realized that, you know, there's so many business people, and this is something I was doing informally for years, like getting on the phone, talking to people, coaching them through difficult situations. But I just definitely formalized not only the coaching package individually, but then also, like, I wanted to have a platform that could scale. So um, while I love to talk to people one-on-one, um, like you said, I just have a lot of other things on my plate. Um, so I think doing it in a system where you put the Internet and using the power of that, doing it from a digital program standpoint. So everything that I know and learned throughout my career as an NFL, throughout my career as an entrepreneur, and packaging that and putting that in a program that's organized in detail where people can go in and purchase and have an opportunity to kind of uh, get some of that wisdom that I've learned and have, and have them figure out how they can unlock potential, how they can overcome fears and, and, and really like live their best life. So, so that's what I'm I'm doing currently, man. I'm I'm just extremely excited about you know some of the success stories that I've had. And again, we talked about you know during this whole um, conversation, um, you know some things that that you know, right, is the key to unlock someone else's door. And me being able to do that through coaching, through speaking, um, through platforms, I'm just always extremely um, you know uh, grateful that when people write me back and tell me that either a story I shared, some steps or tips or formula that I gave them um, was just what they needed to get through what they're going through. Man, it's a leader of service, man. You're just, uh, I mean, I think throughout your whole life, you've, you've been trained for this and, you know, and being a leader at the professional level, obviously at collegiate level, also high school level, like you've led. And I think it's just, it's natural. It's in you to serve. And, and I love it, man. Like it's like you're living it, man. You're being it. And there's there's nothing like knowing people and seeing people live their dream and leave out live live out the purpose, man. And so to me, it's it's yeah, it is mindset, but it's energy. And man, and you're uh, you're giving out 
great energy. And I always say that energy is my offering. And that is your offering, man. You're just giving out your energy and uh, affecting people's lives. So, man, it's... Uh, Man, I could sit here and talk for hours with you on this stuff, um, and I have tons of more questions I didn't get to, but but I, I, I just want to thank you for your energy, and thanks, thank you for sharing your your mindset and just intimate details while you played uh, at the professional level, and these intimate details of why you're being who you are right now as far as an entrepreneur. So thanks, thanks again for being on my show. Yep, thanks for having me. 